and welcome to the Friday, April 23rd, 2021 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, Biden love, GOP visitors, Republican Moneyball, and 100 days. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Tom Barton of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, James. Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good after my second COVID shot. Feeling a little fatigued, James, but I'm here for the podcast. We're going to do this. All right. So you're in for the long term. That's right. <laughs> and Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. How many shots have you had this morning? I have had, well, COVID shots, none. I've, I've had my two shots. But yeah, I'd rather not talk about the other ones. All right. <laughs> Fair I'm enough. Just, just, just trying to smooth the rough edges. Yeah. That's right. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics wherever you find your podcast. First up this week, he's not that bad after all. Iowa Democrats weren't all that high on former Vice President Joe Biden back in February 2020 when they went to their caucuses. Biden finished fourth behind co-winners Pete Buttigieg and Bernie Sanders. And uh, Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren was backing of 60% of caucus goers. That was then. Now, Polly finds that two-thirds of Iowa Democrats want to see Biden reelected in 2024. Todd, uh, has anything changed to explain how de- there? Iowa Democrats have a newfound love for Biden, or is this a case of if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with? Well, just, you know, one note to make is that the Associated Press has yet to declare a winner in the 2020 <laughs> Iowa caucuses, so we, we really right. don't know for sure where Joe Biden finished. He may have Fair enough. Than that. <laughs> well, yeah, I think they're, you know, they're coalescing around their their parties standard bearer, which I don't think is too unusual. He's doing some things that a lot of them probably like the, you know, the, the stimulus package for the, the COVID-19, uh, you know, was popular among Americans in general and especially among Democrats. And, and then of course he's, you know, trying to do infrastructure and climate change and, and uh, education and some of the things, you know, the core democratic issues that all of their candidates ran on. So I think that's probably mostly has to do with the fact they like what he's doing. And also, you know, they don't like what Republicans are doing and can only imagine who Republicans might nominate in, you know, in 2024. And it could be Donald Trump. And I'm I'm sure he won't draw a ton of Democratic votes. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a safe, safe bet at this point. <laughs> The, the poll of uh, 600 Iowa Democrats earlier this month by Victory Insights found that nearly three-quarters of self-described progressives are Biden fans now and want to see him as the nominee in 2024. Amy, um, have they had a change of heart, or does this speak to moderate Joe Biden's embrace of much of their agenda, as uh, Todd was alluding to, uh, you know, climate change, taxing wealthy Americans and corporations, uh, proposing expansive infrastructure improvements and uh, making college debt-free for many Americans. Um, uh, I mean, that's that used to be a progressive agenda. That's, that's definitely, uh, I think the party has moved a little bit to the left in that regard. Um, but these policies are, you know, fairly popular among Democrats. 
I think I, I agree with Todd that, you know, of course you're going to, you know, dance with the one what brung you. So I don't think people are really going to have any sort of opinion one way or another um, on anybody else at this point. So the default option is, of course, Biden. Um, I think it'd be really interesting. Um, I have I have a theory that he is is actually only going to be a one-term president, just won't say it in order to avoid being a lame duck president. And that's why he's putting forth these really progressive policies that are extremely popular. Even if the referendum comes down on him later, um, Kamala Harris still has that chance to rise up sort of above that. Now, if you're a Republican, you can obviously tie her to these policies, but if Biden really like puts his name stamp on it, that maybe avoids some of the issue for her. But- Mm remains to be seen and it's so early it is so early uh the poll also find that uh i i would democrat said that if biden doesn't seek re-election um he said he intends to but uh there there are the skeptics among us uh the democrats said harris Buttigieg, and undecided are the leading alternatives to biden in 2024 uh, meanwhile iowa republicans seem to be looking for some alternatives too. a parade of potential 2024s is making its way to Iowa. This week, we learned that Arkansas Senator Tom Cotton is going to be helping Chuck Grassley raise funds for re-election, perhaps. And uh, former South Carolina governor and United Nations ambassador Nikki Haley is headed our way in June. Um, conventional thinking has been that Iowans prefer Midwesterners. Sorry, Tim Pawlenty and Tommy Thompson. Uh, maybe that's what Mike Pompeo is hoping for, but otherwise it's been a lot of Southern fried Republicans showing up. Rick Scott, Tim Scott, Nikki Haley. Um, Republican Party of Iowa Chairman Jeff Kaufman says they're coming to party build. Uh, Tom, true or false? Uh, that seems to be their intention in the answer the candidates give as to why they're stopping in Iowa. But at least from my observation, it seems their focus is more on introducing themselves to Iowa GOP voters and donors, talking about their backstory and accomplishments, defending Trump's agenda while in office and pushing back on Democrats' attacks on the party for not supporting legislation or, or excuse me, attacks on, on the party for supporting legislation that would lead to, to voter suppression. Uh, particularly among communities of color. I heard very little uh, from the candidates about Iowa-specific issues. Most of the conversation is focused on what Republicans are doing at the national level. I think these visits and the speeches being made just signal that the Republican presidential shadow primary has already begun. Shadow primary. I like that. Shadow Mm -hmm. primary. Yeah. Uh, It's interesting that you say that the focus seems to be on national politics uh, when these folks here and you covered I think you covered Tom Tim Scott when he was in the Quad Cities. And are Iowa Republicans thinking that far ahead, especially with the US Senate race and a governor's race coming up next year? Um it's it's something that um they're paying attention to. Um you know they're they're paying attention to who's swinging through Iowa, um keeping it in the back of their minds, but I don't think are I don't I don't think they're actively thinking that far ahead for the most part. As you mentioned, you've got the um, Iowa Senate race, the governor's race next year. I think that's more at the forefront of their minds. And 2024 is this thing on the horizon that they're keenly aware of and paying attention to. But um, I think probably more on the periphery at this point. Uh, One thing that seems clear is that while the Democratic National Committee and state parties uh, 
outside of Iowa are looking to shake up their nomination calendar. As far as Iowa Republicans are concerned, Iowa will once again be first in the nation in 2024. Uh, Todd, assuming that Democrats are still on the Biden bandwagon, would going it alone be advantageous for Iowa Republicans, or, or would they be better caucusing the same night as uh, their Democratic neighbors? Well, I, you know, I think if the Democrats leave the calendar intact or allow Iowans, Iowa to go first, uh, regardless of the scenario, whether it's Biden or, you know, a more a more active campaign with him out of the picture, uh, you know, that I think th there's still going to be an interest in keeping that kind of united front that Iowa Republicans and Democrats are both sort of joint. The, the one thing they can agree on is that Iowa should be first and that they'll hold their caucuses on the same nights. Of course, if the Democrats make some move to change everything, all bets are off and the Republicans can sort of go on their own. But I think as long as Iowa remains first in both parties, they'll probably caucus on the same night. And the, the Democratic caucus could be pretty boring this time around, or, or maybe, <laughs> maybe maybe Amy's hunch will, will pay off and we'll have a, we'll have a field of candidates. It might still be boring if if Kamala's the nominee. Sure, could be. Oh, but the field clears. I, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can't believe that it would be uh, uncontested, especially that early. There, there's bound to be somebody else who, uh, you know, it, what was interesting about the, the Victory Insights poll to me was that they, uh, on the question of like, if Biden doesn't run, who do you want to see run? Basically, it was all the people who ran in in 2020. Uh, except for, I think they threw John Kerry in there and um, someone else who seemed like an unlikely uh, candidate in 2024. Uh, you know, and, and I mean, there's plenty of time for other people to sort of come to the forefront uh, on that national stage. So, uh, you know, Pete Buttigieg probably, you know, he might not be a candidate. Uh, you know, uh, Elizabeth Warren. I, I'm doubting she would be running in 2024. So, uh, yeah. yeah, if if Biden doesn't run, it's going to I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, be, Could be. Make it, yeah. Yeah. Are people clamoring for Kerry to come back? I mean, we do I, have Biden as a president, though, so it's a possibility. Well, I haven't heard it. I ha haven't heard that clamor. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I've been hunkered down here in my home office. So maybe I missed it. <laughs> The, the Kerry Boomlet didn't. You didn't hear the sound. Yeah, yeah. I oh, thought it was that low flying aircraft last yeah, night. Yeah, right. That, <laughs> that was it. That was it. Uh, well, you know, it'll, it'll also be interesting to see if you when you know you start getting a lot of these Republican candidates out there, and you know our Republicans may start to they may start to grow on them, and and you know mm -hmm. the conventional wisdom as well. If Trump gets in, then all it's all over and. And and maybe that's not going to be the case either. Maybe that's uh, maybe they'll look at some of these folks and decide that they'd be better off with a fresh start with someone that you know talk you know has Trump-like policy objectives but doesn't come with all the uh, the circus baggage. I, I heard a rumor this morning that Pete Ricketts, the governor of uh, Nebraska, is thinking about running for president. Um, that was a name that was not on my. Uh, uh, list, but uh, you know, I guess if you can't run for re-election, uh, what are your options? Well, and when you had a president with the amazing, you know, hair that Donald Trump has, it may, you know, maybe these bald candidates are are gonna, you know, break through. 
What was America's okay. last bald president? Ooh. Eisenhower had. Oh, yeah, I was going to say it was as close. Have, he didn't have a lot of hair. Yeah. <laughs> but then, then you know, of course, America swung the other way to Jack Kennedy. So. Right. Oh, yeah. This, Those luscious locks. Yeah. These, yeah. Hair could be a factor. You know, you heard it here first. <laughs> How about a president with a beard? When's the last bearded president? Yeah, I was going to say mm. facial hair would have to go back to. Got to be pre twentieth. Taft, century. maybe Taft. Taft had a mustache, I think. So that probably yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt. Didn't he have Teddy Roosevelt mustache? and Taft? Would yeah. Be the last two. Yeah. yeah. So well. We'll, we'll have to watch for facial hair at some at some point. Yeah, yeah, because that's probably discriminatory uh, for female candidates. Depends. Yeah, that, that, that'll be a separate podcast. Well, and they, yeah, they, <laughs> they just they don't have to even even worry about it. <laughs> Moving right along here. <laughs> Where were we? Poor Pete Ricketts. <laughs> yeah, Pete Ricketts. <laughs> Uh, as we mentioned, uh, Tom Cotton is coming to Iowa as a guest of Senator Grassley. They're headed to the reddest part of the state, Sioux County, in northwest Iowa, not far from where State Senator Jim Carlin calls home. Uh, coincidence? Anyone? <laughs> According to his uh, FEC report, Carlin raised $38,000 since announcing his run for U.S. Senate. Uh, he reported $10,000 cash on hand. I'm guessing Grassley can multiply that by what a thousand times a million times at least yeah <laughs> uh amy which is going to cause grassley to sweat more uh, jim carlin or his 4 a.m jogging <laughs> you know i'll put this out there you know fundraising was generally a good marker where you could look at two candidates and you could say this guy's raised a lot more money unless it's really close in the fundraising that guy's probably going to win and he usually did but now you've got the trump factor if Jim Carlin goes down to Mar-a-Lago, becomes buddy-buddy with Trump, convinces Trump that Grassley's a hack, and Trump gives Carlin an endorsement, you can really see the tides change. But is that going to happen? You know, I don't know. But Carlin is positioning himself as the Trump candidate, essentially, um, adopting his policies and, and really supporting him pretty heavily, whereas Grassley is seen as more of a moderate. So that's the wild card. It's an interesting theory because uh, it would cause such turmoil in the Iowa Republican Party um, to suggest that somebody uh, other than Chuck Grassley should be the nominee in in 2022. Um, I mean, I I can see, you know, if Carlin pursues that route, that Trump would endorse him. um, But, you know, the, the party infrastructure there. I don't think we'd go along with that. The, the state party infrastructure. I, mean, mm. I can't imagine Jeff Kaufman and, and and those folks saying like, "Okay, we're all getting behind Carlin." Uh, <laughs> sorry, Chuck. Thanks for your service, but uh, go right. your lawn. Uh, right. You know. But you know that Trump is is saying that he's going to go after now. Whether he actually does, you know, in the election cycle remains to be seen. But he was making a big show that he was going after um, incumbents and especially right. you know Republican incumbents. So that could really throw a wrench in a lot of states' Republican Party plans. It could. Grassley was pretty supportive of, of Trump. And even when some of Trump's policies were not um, favorable towards Iowa, he seemed to um, 
give him a lot of slack and, and try to bring mm-hmm. him around. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I can't quite imagine Chuck Grassley going to Mar-a-Lago and, and kneeling before Trump and asking for his blessing. Um, unless Carla but, does. Yeah, unless Carla does it first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then Chuck's going to take up golf. He'd better uh, go, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we're hearing a lot of talk about 100 days. Joe Biden's first 100 days in office, Representative Ashley Hinson's 100 days in 100 days. But the most important century mark is 100 days without Trump tweets. Uh, it's about 100 days since Twitter permanently banned the former president from the social media platform. It's hard to imagine how many tweets a president who tweeted 56,000 times in four years, how many times he could post when free of the responsibilities of those offices. Uh, <laughs> Twitter's ban has sparked questions about free speech and charges, most of the time right, censorship and cancel culture, as well as added fuel to their calls to rein in big tech. Perhaps you were among what then Press Secretary Sean Spicer described as, quote, a small group of people who know exactly what he meant when he tweeted about Kofifi. (laughs) And I say this in all caps, but really, don't you miss his magnificent, most beautiful tweets? And as you think about as you think about the past hundred days since uh, Trump patriots marched to the halls of Congress to show their support for free elections and fair elections and their respect for elected officials, what issue or event left you wondering, what would Donald Trump tweet about this? Inauguration, MLB moving the all-star game out of Georgia, which Biden policies, the Chauvin verdict, Meghan, Harry, and Oprah. Todd, what, what tweet are you looking for? Do you feel like you're missing? I don't feel like I'm missing anything. And I, <laughs> I, 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 and I think the best part is that, uh, you know, him not being able to tweet has made, made certain that we don't have these situations where there's like a, a news of, you know, news is happening, but we have to stop and sort of cover this wild tweet. You know, he's, he's been unable to yeah. sort of shift the attention to him, which I know has got to just drive him insane. But yeah, that's probably the, the best part about this. I mean, it would be interesting in some of these big moments to, to see what he, what his take would be. I, I mean, I think we can imagine what his take would be on a lot of this stuff, but yeah, it's, he's no longer pulling cameras and eyeballs away from actual substantive stuff that's happening to, you know, to sort of check in on his, on his lunacy on Twitter. So that's, I don't miss that. Tom, what are you doing with your free time when you get up in the morning and, and you don't have to read through, you know, scroll through Twitter to see what the news of the day is going to be. <laughs> uh, focus on actual journalism, maybe. <laughs> wow. Right. That's it took a- up a lot of the news cycle, you know, talking about every one of his tweets, especially for the national media, obviously, but we had to pay attention to them too. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're, the numbers are showing that like CNN's viewership has declined and, and uh, yeah. you know, the impact, you know, this could have wide ranging impacts, but uh, yeah, I don't know, maybe, maybe we better stop before big tech shuts us down. So that's, 
So that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. If you enjoy the podcast, tell a friend and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Send your fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. And you can find us on the homepages of the Quad City Times, the Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Stephen Christopher will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Tom, Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening and stay well. Well, I lost my job and I lost my girl and so much more. Same old country song It seems you've heard a million times before But this one's different in a way That you can't see It's about this old and every man Trying to be a better me Cause I'm holding on to better view I'm rolling There's so much in front of me I gotta do and I'm holding on to a place I call my own and I'm letting go of everything I've ever known I'm moving on I'm driving down a brand new road and I'm Oh
to a place I call my own And I'm letting go of everything I've ever known I'm moving on, driving down a brand new road And I'm holding on, I'm holding on I'm holding on to a place I call To a place I call my own